Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I told you that if you want this to be the best year of your life, it has to be the best spiritual year of your life. Why? Because you're a spiritual, eternal being having a temporary physical experience on earth. Say that again. You're an eternal spiritual being having a temporary physical experience on earth. Sometimes when you're young, you you get deceived by that. I did a funeral yesterday uh, but one of our, our elders, uh, Tanya and Kevin Cook, have been with us since the beginning for her dad yesterday. Three weeks before, it was for her mom. They lived wonderful lives. They were wonderful, godly people. But it, you're just reminded that even if you live life to the fullest, it's still temporary. It's still temporary. And that in order for you to understand that the quality of life that God has created for you to live until you tap into the part of you that's eternal, you you never experience fulfillment. You can get satisfaction for a moment and then you become Mick Jagger. I can't get no. Those of you who know Mick Jagger know what I'm talking about. But true fulfillment only comes from the spiritual realm of your life. Real fulfillment, but what we called contentment. True, true peace. It only comes spiritually. So we actually have this time planned for you so you can have an incredible spiritual experience and God can meet you and then we go right into spiritual renewal with great worship. Matter of fact, didn't Amber do a great job leading us in worship today? God, just, did y'all enjoy that? Um, just, just so, so grateful in those moments, like, like when you feel that, like how many of you know what I'm talking about when you feel that? Okay, it's not, it's not like this feeling. It's like here. It's like here. And, and when we get in moments like that, you feel like you can just sit there forever, don't you? You know why? Because one day you will. But that's a little preview. That's a little appetizer of what heaven's going to be like. But we, we pray that you do have a real encounter, what some might call a mountaintop spiritual experience. How many have ever had a mountaintop experience? Like, like you, just, you just really felt like you had a spiritual encounter and that you, your life has been touched deeply. How many have ever had that? Raise your hand. I remember when, when you were a kid, you'd go to youth camp. Any of you ever go to youth camp? And you go to youth camp as a kid and you go like, man, you go. And then the first night, if you've ever been to any of the camps that I did the first night, it's get right with God night. The second night is break off with all the ugly boys and girls you're going with night. The third night is the surrender to Jesus to, you know, light. And the last night it's receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and get a call of God night. And, and you just pray that when you leave there, you feel so close to God. You feel so close to God because you don't have to clean your room. You feel so close to God because your parents aren't telling you when to go to sleep or get off the phone or talk to your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You feel so close to God because you don't have any homework. There's no finals. There's no work. You don't have to cut the yard. Okay? Your slob brother isn't making a mess in the kitchen and blaming it on you. You just feel close to God. It's a mountaintop. But I don't know if you've discovered this. There are no grocery stores on the mountaintop. There's no bathrooms on the mountaintop. All of the practical things that we have to do every day of our life that are routine practical things, none of them are on the mountaintop. When we're up there, it's us and the kind of spiritual encounter that we're having that becomes transformative for our life. Why can't we stay there? 
What's the purpose of mountaintop spiritual experiences? Well, gratefully, that we can look in the Bible because there are stories of people who had supernatural encounters. And you see why they had them, and you see what was going to follow afterwards. So I pray this year that, that, that we are helping spiritually prepare you. How many of you remember 2020? Not the TV series. I, I remember the 2020, I have a lot of pastor friends from large churches, and they were preaching, this is going to be the year of vision. And March 1st happened. What was it? Go ahead, go say that ugly C word. COVID. Did anybody see COVID coming? No, the year of vision produced nobody seeing COVID. But do you know God saw COVID? And do you know he sees the things that are going to happen in your life that are going to be challenges for the year? I, someone grabbed me on the way out and said, Pastor, would you, would you pray for my dad? He's just got a diagnosis of stage four cancer. The beginning of a new year, 2024, everything, but boom, in one phone call. The only one that knows everything that's going to happen to you and that can equip you and prepare you for everything that's going to happen to you is the one who created you. And that's God. So today we're going to look at a story from three different people's perspective. We're going to look at Matthew and Mark and Luke, all disciples that were with Jesus who had a supernatural encounter and all of them saw something different so that we can learn the purpose of mountaintop experiences and what we should do after we've had one. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, it says this, and six days later, Jesus took Peter and his two brothers, Jacob and John. This is the Passion Translation. Jacob was the actual original name. We call him James and John. In the Hebrew, it's the same name. Don't let that trip you up. His brothers, Jacob or James and John, and he hiked up the mountain to be alone. Then the appearance of Jesus was dramatically altered and a radiant light as bright as the sun poured from his face and his clothes became luminescent, dazzling like light. He was, he was what? Transfigured before their very eyes. Suddenly, they don't see Jesus, they see and, and he appeared there with Jesus and they Spoke to Jesus. Peter blurts out and says, Lord, how wonderful is it that we're all here together? If you want me to, I'll build three shrines or three monuments. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But while Peter was still interrupting Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, God interrupts Peter. But while Peter was still speaking, a bright radiant cloud spread over him and enveloped all of them and whose voice spoke suddenly through the clouds saying, this is my dearly loved son, the constant focus of my delight. What? Say it loud. Listen to him. The three were dazed and terrified by this phenomenon and they fell face down on the ground. Jesus walked over and touched them and said, get up, stop being afraid. And when they finally opened their eyes, Elijah was gone, Moses was gone, and they saw no one there but... Now listen to the next verse, verse 9. As they hiked down the mountain together, Jesus ordered them, what? Don't tell anyone about this divine appearance you've witnessed. Wait until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. That's Matthew's account. Mark, same place, his account, little different details. After six days, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, uh, James and John, they hiked up the mountain alone. Jesus' appearance was dramatically altered. He was transfigured before their very eyes. His clothes sparkled, became glistening white, whiter than any bleach in the world could make them. And suddenly right in front of them, Moses and Elijah appeared and they spoke with Jesus. Peter blurted out, good teacher, this is so amazing that the three of you are here together. Why don't we stay here? And build three shelters, three monuments, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, for all of the disciples were in total fear. And Peter didn't say it with me, have a clue what to say. 
And then a radiant cloud began to spread over them, enveloping them all. And God's voice suddenly spoke from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. And what? Always listen to what? And suddenly they looked away and everyone was gone, but Jesus was with them and Moses and Elijah were gone. Here's Luke's account. Eight days later, Jesus took Peter and Jacob and John, climbed up the mountain and as he prayed, his face began to glow, blinding light, radiant stream, illuminated body. His bright became in, body became intense, made his clothing um, blinding white, multiple flashes of lightning. All at once, two men appeared in splendor, Moses and Elijah, and they spoke with Jesus about his this is something that wasn't said in the other passages. Now we hear not only that they're talking, but what the conversation is about. About Jesus' soon departure. Where was he going to depart from? How was he going to die? On the cross. So they're talking about the cross. And they spoke to him about his soon departure from the world and the things that the Father had destined for him to accomplish in the world. And that would be done in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions had become very drowsy, but they became fully awake when they saw the glory and the splendor. And Jesus standing there, and the two men with him, and Moses and Elijah were about to return to heaven. See, we get that piece that we didn't hear directly from the other passages. Peter impetuously blurted out, Master, this is amazing to see the three of you together. Why don't we? Hey, stay here. Set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while Peter was still speaking, a radiant cloud of glory formed over them, overshadowed them, and a cloud of glory enveloped them. And they were struck with fear. And the voice of God thundered from the clouds and said, Shut up, Peter. This is my son, my beloved one. To what he has to say. And when the thunderous voice faded away and the cloud disappeared, Jesus was standing there alone. Peter James, John were awestruck, and they didn't say a word to anyone about what they'd seen. Now, look up here a moment. I know it was a lot of verses, but I wanted to give you three perspectives of the same story. For the Jews, or the Hebrews, both of them, same people, one tribe, one is a whole group of people, they lived all of their life like we do, wanting to follow Jesus, following the teachings of Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's called the Pentateuch. It means five. When he was up on the mountain away from the people, he, God gave him the instruction of how the world was created, and all that was written down came from the mouth of God to Moses, and he wrote it down. So the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch, and they were written by Moses, if you go to Israel, Michelle and I were there last year, you will see Orthodox Jews and they have these long locks of hair and they have these little beanies on their head, little skull caps, and they have something tied over their head like this and it's rolled up and it's on their hands and it's rolled up. And do you know what it's rolled up in there? Anybody know? What is it? It's what? It's the Ten Commandments. It's the law of God. And then they have it on their hand. It's called tefillim. It's, it, it, it's rolled up because all of their life, they're taught memorizing the words of Moses. Now, Elijah represented all the prophets. All the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Elisha. All of the prophets, all those part of the writings. And now Jesus takes the disciples up. He takes Peter, James, and John to go with him. And they're up there. And now, okay, imagine you coming to hear me preach tonight or this morning. And Jesus shows up, like, like really shows up. Like shows up, like the real Jesus, not the Mexican Jesus. The real Jesus shows up. How many think you wouldn't forget that? How many think you wouldn't forget what he said? Okay. It would truly be our Savior's church. Like, who was, who was speaking today? Jesus. Not like, really? Who? Jesus. What do you mean? Well, he, he came. That's what it was like for the Hebrews, for the Jewish 
men to be able to see Moses and Elijah, these people that have been dead for a thousand years, resurrected and right there in front. Do you think that you would forget that ever? No. You're like 90 years old. That happened to you when you were 30 and you got your grandchildren around the table at Thanksgiving going, did Papa ever tell y'all about the time? We know it. We know it. You were up on a mountain. Moses and Elijah came. Yeah. And so now Moses and Elijah disappear. And now it's just Jesus who walked up with them in the beginning and a voice from God that speaks saying, don't forget Moses. Is that what he said? Don't forget Elijah. Don't forget the, the, the light that you saw in Jesus. All of that is encapsulated in one final statement from the audible voice of God. Peter interrupts the conversation. Only Peter would be stupid enough to interrupt a conversation between two people that raised from the dead that were thousands of years old. I mean, if there's ever time to shut up, shut up. And then God interrupts him and basically says, shut up, Peter. This is my son, the one who I love, my beloved, my most loved. Listen to him. What was the disciples' response to this supernatural experience? First one is, why don't we stay here? Why don't we stay here? Why can't we always have spiritual renewal? Why can't Pastor Obed be preaching every week? He's brown. Why can't we have Dr. Darius every week? Why can't Torn Wells be leading worship every day? Why can't, wouldn't it be wonderful? They want to stay there. Here's the second thing. They said, uh, we're, we're afraid. And they fell down on their face. Here's the third thing. Let's build three monuments. Let's build three monuments. We could start running tours. This is exactly where Moses stood. This is exactly, we could raise money to build the church. I would be the one. I, Peter, I was there. Peter, I was here. I, I will lead the cruises. Here's the next one. Let's tell others. When they're walking down, what does Jesus tell them? Can you imagine that? What happened up there? Did Jesus' clothes look like they've been bleached a lot? Can you imagine having that encounter and not saying anything? But here's the real question. Why did God allow them to have that? Now, I want you to look right here because this applies to every person here. I don't care what background you are or where you are in your spiritual journey. How many of you can look at a moment in your life where you say, that was a divine encounter? Those circumstances were orchestrated by God. Raise your hand. I think every single person here can in one way or the other. What are we to do with those things? And what's the purpose of them? I believe they're to prepare us for what is to come. And you're going to find that in just a moment. And let me give you four little quick thoughts and then I'll close. Here's the first one. Get up. Say that with me. Jesus looked at the disciples and said, get up. We're not going to stay here. You can't live on the mountaintop. These moments are given to stretch you and to prepare you, not so that you can build a monument there. Divine moments come, but they're not supposed to be monuments. If you look throughout all of history, do you know what happens to religious people? Jesus heals somebody in the water and we build a shrine to the water. Jesus touches somebody somewhere and we go back and we build a shrine to the place where he was. It's not about what he did. These moments are meant to draw you closer to God, not closer to the place you encountered God. He wants you to get closer to the person, Jesus, not to the place. They're meant to build your faith, not to build monuments. They're there to help prepare you for the future you are going to face, which you will find out in our story. Here's the second thing you do after you've had a spiritual encounter. The first one is what? Here's the second one. Shut up. Just go ahead, say it. How many of you remember when you gave your life to Jesus? Raise your hand. You were born again. 
How many of you preached to every single person, said every... How many can think of stupid things you said? When, when I gave my life to Jesus, I wanted to scare everybody to give their life to Jesus. I did. Now think about this. I'm 14 years old. My hair's down to here. I can't even read a King James version of the Bible. They had this cool Bible called Good News to Modern Man that had like stick people in simple ghetto language that I could understand. And you know what I would tell people? Hey, you don't want to give your life to Jesus? Read the book of Revelations. It'll scare the hell out of you. I literally was telling people to read the book of Revelations. I had no clue what the book of Revelations was about. I just knew it had some cool stick people in that part of the Bible. Peter didn't know what to say, so he said it. Divine moments are meant to be experienced, sometimes not explained. Not explained. Every time that God speaks, he creates something new. And sometimes God is doing something and it's just for you. Jesus told them not to tell anybody what happened until after he died and raised from the dead. Remember, there were nine disciples. Only Peter, James, and John had this experience. So they had to come down and be with the other disciples and keep this to themselves. Can I say something to you? You know what all true lovers know? All true lovers know there's stuff that's just for you and me. There's stuff for just you and me. Can I share something with you? There's stuff God wants to share with you that's just for you and him. There's stuff that Jesus wants to whisper to you that is just for you and him. Because the temptation is to go around and tell people, I'm closer to Jesus. Jesus, touch me. I'm on fire. How about you, Rich? I'm on fire. Oh, you're that? Church? Religion? Background? Listen carefully to me. When Jesus does something for you, it doesn't make you better than somebody else. It just makes you closer to him than you were before. <laughs> you, you, know, you know what happens when we compare ourselves to other people spiritually? Okay. If you're worse than them, you become condemned. If you're equal with them, you become competitive. And if you're better than them, you become proud. All of them are bad. Your spiritual life is for you and your father alone. And the intimacy that y'all share is for you and him alone. There are so many things that God wants to do just for you. I'm a daddy. I've got a lot of children. Six children. People go, man, you must really love kids. No, I don't. I just love Michelle. We kept trying for a girl. We did. Jacob Jr. was supposed to be Maria. Christian was supposed to be Maria. He sure wasn't Maria. He dated a lot of Marias. Joseph was supposed to be Maria. Wesley was supposed to be Maria. Maria. Haddon was supposed to be me. Finally, when the last baby came out, tied to the umbilical cord was something about this big with a sign on it that said, there isn't a Maria in here. <laughs> and we went and got Amberly. Well, we finally got a Maria. It took a while. L. Marie, who I just dedicated today. It took a while. Thank you for cooperating, Joseph and Michelle. We appreciate that. But, but I know what each of my children like. I, I would never give Amberly a gift that's for Haddon. I would never give Haddon a gift that is for Joseph. Or jo I, I'm their father. I know what each one of them like. Can I tell you something about your heavenly father? He knows what you like. He knows what you like. And you know what his greatest desire is? When, when Amber was singing that song, you've been so good to me. So good to me. I, I just had a flashback of me sitting on the front porch of my house, nine years old. The police come in again. My parents beginning a series of multiple divorces. Thanking God one day my children aren't going to go through this. 
And I think of that and I think of today. And God, you've been so good to me, so good to me. He's been good to you. He knows the very thing that is the secret desire of your heart. And you know what his heart's desire is? To give it to you to show you how much he loves you. Shut up. Here's the third one. Look, look up. Say it with me. Look up. Look up. Look up. When, when, when we look anywhere but up, we, we get in trouble. When we look anywhere but up, we, we become afraid. Fear is often of the unknown. And sometimes when you have a, an encounter with God, you're afraid to lose that. It's, moments like that are like your honeymoon. How, how many of you had a honeymoon? Well, the rest of you, I'm sorry. You, you, M- Michelle and I got married on January the 15th, 42 years ago. It was last Monday, and, and, and we were going to go to Florida. I never, well, her family would go to Florida. That's the first family I'd ever been with that ever went to Florida. But we were renting a condo in Florida. I don't know why for January the 15th, but we were going to Florida. And it got cold just like it did last week, and the roads froze over, so we couldn't. And so we went to the Sheraton Hotel on Pinhook. You say, Pastor, there is no Sheraton Hotel on Pinhook. We shut it down. How many of you remember when there used to be a Sheraton Hotel on Pinhook? Thank you. Thank you. Old people, unite with me. Thank you. I love you. It's right across from what was the travel lodge, and it was right there. It's now, I think it's now a business or something, a hospital or, or, or something, but, but, the, but the, that's where we were. Listen, every time I want to get close to Michelle, I don't drive back to that parking lot and drive around in circles. That was a moment where we created intimacy that would carry us through the difficulties of life. God brings moments like that that are honeymoons for us, but we must keep our focus on him. When the disciples got through and Moses was gone and Elijah was gone, who was still there? The same Jesus that walked up with them. And when all of life passes, regardless of what you experience, regardless of the blessings you have, in the end, it started off you and Jesus, and in the end, it will be you and Jesus. I love what Hebrews 12, 2 says. It says this, looking unto who? The author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You say, Pastor, joy, cross, what does that mean? Do you think he looked forward joyfully to go to the cross? No, he looked forward to reuniting man in union to God through the cross. He was willing to go for the painful to receive the joy for you and me. Hebrews 12.2 says this in the Passion Translation. We look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and leads us forward into faith's perfection. Keep looking up. My focus determines my feelings. My focus determines my feelings. Look at Jesus. Look up. And here's the last one. Listen up. Listen up. The last thing that God said when Peter was going to start his tour service and begin to build three monuments, he said, Peter, this is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased. What did he say? Listen to him. Come on, say that to me. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Can I tell you something? Look at me. Your level of peace is determined by your level of listening. It is your level of listening. It was C.S. Lewis who said, God whispers at us in our pleasure, but he screams at us in our pain. He whispers in our pleasure, but he screams at us when we're in pain. It's interesting. This encounter happened on Mount Hermon. Let me show you Mount Hermon. Do we have that? Let me show you Mount Hermon. That's Mount Hermon. So everybody's down here, and the disciples are way up on top. But you know what's interesting? Scholars tell us that years later, 
they went and they built a temple and put an altar there. When Moses was in the wilderness, his brother Aaron was with him and he left him in charge for a little while. Anybody remember that? Okay. And when he did, the people started saying, Moses taught us to worship. You're here. Give us something to worship. And so what did he make? He made a cow, an altar to the cow and said, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. And you know what the name of that cow was? Baal. There is an altar of Baal and a temple to Baal built on that same Mount of Transfiguration. Do you know why? Because if you take an experience and you try to build a monument out of it, you don't get closer to God. You get an idol that takes you further away from God. So what was God saying to him? Forget the cloud. Forget Moses and Elijah. Focus on my son. Listen to his voice. Listen to his voice. Sometimes we hear the voice of God. But let me, let me explain this a moment. So sometimes there is a still small voice. You're just going about your life and all of a sudden you just hear something in your heart. Call your mom. Check on your children. Don't drive that way. Stop. How many, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Well, why is that so significant? Listen to what Romans 8, 14 says. For as many as are led by the, they are what? The sons of God. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. It's, it's tuning into that. I'm going to talk in a moment about how you can tune into it. I love what Romans 8, 14, the passion says, the mature children of God are those who are by what? Sometimes it's a voice. Sometimes it's an impulse. I'll get up in the morning sometimes. Or I'll be going through my day just not thinking about anything. And all of a sudden, somebody's picture will come up on my mind. Some word will come up on my mind. Something I wasn't even thinking of. And it will just appear. This is why you want to keep your mind pure and clean. Because if you don't have something pure and clean, God doesn't have any place to write. Which, by the way, you know what pornography is? It's worshiping an image. It's idolatry. It's Baal. So when you keep your mind pure, not perfect, you get up every morning, you ask the Lord to wash you and cleanse you. It's not that you've never seen anything bad or if you've not said anything you shouldn't say. God's mercies are new every morning. Ask him to forgive you and start off clean every day, regardless of what happened the day before. Clap right there. Everybody need to hear that. You did. We, we all need fresh mercy. We all need to wash our mind and heart before we go to bed. And then reach over and ask your mate to forgive you for a few things you said. Okay, that's a relationship series. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Okay, but, but it, it will be an impression. So the second way that God speaks is it's an impression. It's an impression. Just something is impressed on there that didn't come from you. But here's the other way that we hear the voice of God, and it's through the Bible. How many of you would like to hear the voice of God? Look at me. Read the Bible. These are God's words. This is not a decoration on your coffee table or your nightstand by your bed to keep grigri away. <laughs> this is a love letter written from God to you and me. Now watch this. Look at me. So when I read this, when I read this, you know what it does? It tunes me in to the voice of God. Here's what some people told me, but pastor, you, you don't understand what I'm saying. I want to hear God speak out loud. I can tell you how you can do that. Read the Bible out loud. <laughs> but the voice of God sounds a lot like the word of God. I, I'm not saying this to boast, okay? I'm just saying this because I was desperate. The first two weeks I was a Christian, I read the whole New Testament. Look at me. I had never read a book my teenage years. I was an F student. But when Jesus came into my life, I was hungry spiritually. I became alive and I began to devour 
this word. I began to devour this word. So read the word. Stay in the word. It's going to be Jesus in his word on the mountaintop. It's going to be Jesus in the word when you get to the base of the mountain. And now let me close by telling you what happened when they came down from the mountain. You know who was waiting for them? A demon-possessed man. Why does God give you mountaintop experiences? To prepare you to live with your husband. It was actually a little boy. It was a little boy. Why, why does God give you mountaintop experiences? To help you live with your teenagers. He gives you fuel for your faith and strength for your journey so that when you get difficult moments and it's hard to hear his voice and things are difficult, you can look back on the mountaintop moments of your life and go, I know it feels terrible right now. I know I don't feel it right now, but I know God met me and I know he spoke to me and I know that he's real. I know that he's real. So here's what we asked you to do. We ask you to do, which by the way, this is why this is so powerful. Because in just a few weeks from this story, do you know what happened to Jesus? He was. How many times did he tell the disciples after I raised from the dead, then you could tell this. Do you know what happened when he was crucified? Did they sit around going, hey, Jesus said he's coming back from the dead. Remember that? We were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Mount of Transfiguration. He was talking to Moses and Elijah, and we heard him talking about all that. Do you remember all that? That's what's going to happen. Come on, let's go wait. Let's go wait by the tomb. Did they do that? Because you can forget mountaintop experiences. Let me close with this. I was, um, I was 15 years old, and... Many of you have been here when my pastor, Pastor Jim LaFoon, has been here. I mean, you know who that is. And he has a gift of prophecy. I mean, he will look at you and just tell you your whole life. I've had him on the phone with Tim Tebow and just told him his whole life. Governor Blanco, Governor Jindal, Mike Didga, waiters and waitresses across Acadiana. Literally. And he'll just look at you when you were nine years old, your father left, and you were Okay, it's true. So what's really scary is he stays at my house three times a year for three days. I'm real good the month before. I promise you. And I've, since I was 14 years old, living in my mama's bar, which I lived till I was 17 and a half. From 14 to 17 and a half, I lived in my mom's bar, served beer every day when I came home from school. And I... I would be the kid in a meeting that if someone had that gift, they would call me out. Like, no matter where I was, I'd walk into a church I'd never been in. they go, hey, tall Mexican in the back. Now, there was no tall Mexican, so that definitely had to be me. They'd say, tall, skinny Mexican in the back, stand up. Big nose, yeah, you. God's hand is on your life. You're going to preach the gospel to thousands. Many people are going to come to Christ because of you. Like, that would happen to me three or four times a year, no matter where I was at, a youth camp, comedy, it didn't matter. They would always just call me out. So I'm driving, my, my, my pastor is driving me home to drop me off. And he's correcting me. He's driving, we're on Harrisburg, going up near Lockwood, if you know the Mexican ghetto of Houston, and we're at the turning light where you're gonna turn and go left on Lockwood, and he's correcting me. How many of you like to be corrected? That's what I thought. Me either. And while he's correcting me, I said, well, I don't know if you know this, but it has been prophesied that I am going to be a great preacher. And that God is going to use me. And that thousands are going to come to know the Lord through me. Ha! Huh. Now, go ahead. And I'll never forget it. I'm 65 years old. I was 15 then. And he turned around and he looked at me and he said, Jacob, I believe all of that is true, son. But God will not do anything in your life later that he hasn't begun now through discipline and discipleship now. 
I asked you at the beginning of the year to tithe. How many minutes? 24 minutes. One minute out of every hour to tithe. One minute out of every hour to do four things and to start off in the morning giving God the first 24 minutes of your life in 2024. The first seven minutes, what did I tell you you need to do? I'm glad everyone remembers. Worship. I want you to speak to the only woman that will listen to you in the house. Alexa. I go, Alexa, elevation worship. And she starts. And it starts. I just worship seven minutes. I just worship. That's all I do. You heard me say, you ever feel like you can't find God? The Bible says, well, Jesus himself said, the Father seeks worshipers, those who will worship him in spirit and truth. If you don't feel like you can find God, start worshiping him. He'll find you. You know that presence you felt while we were leading in worship? Look at me. I don't care if you believe the Bible, you think that's true, not true. I don't care what you think about LGBTQ, whatever. When the presence of God comes in the room, you can't deny that he's here. That he's here. Worship him for seven minutes. Here's the second thing. Make a prayer list. Just a simple prayer list of the loved ones in your life, the people that you're responsible for, the people that you love, and pray over that for seven minutes. Just pray over it for seven minutes. And then the third seven minutes, take and, and, and read your Bible. Just, just, just read your Bible. You can read a chapter and a half, maybe two chapters in seven minutes. I told everybody to start in the book of John. A lady grabbed me two weeks ago and she goes, Okay, Pastor, I'm through with John. Where do I go now? I mean, I, mean, I want you to start in John. Like, keep reading. Just keep, keep reading. Seven minutes every day. Keep reading. And then the last thing is, I told you I wanted to take the last three minutes, and I want you to confess what God says about you. What God says about you. Do, do we have that, Josh? I know I keep saying that. Did you put, do we have that? And you just wake up every day and you simply say, I am a born again, blood washed, spirit filled child of God. I am a born again, blood washed. I am a. Okay. If I was the devil and I heard you say that, I'd kick your tail. Okay. I am a. you've ever heard this? You're not a good person. You've done terrible things. You're probably not even forgiven. Anybody ever heard those voices? Huh? If If they knew the worst about you, if they knew what you were really like, ever hear that? Look at me. There's too many one way conversations. The devil's talking to you, but you're not talking to him. Cause I'm going to tell you this. I am a. I am a. I am a. You go, Pastor Jacob. We're in church. You weren't with me in my mama's bar. When centerfolds were all over the wall. The bed I slept in every night had a mirror on the ceiling. And I would walk around going, I am a born again, blood washed, spirit filled child of God. I am a born again, blood washed, spirit filled child of God. I know the circumstances around me don't look like that, but what's inside me, that's really who I am. Because I'm going to share something with you. Look at me. If you don't know who you are, the devil is happy to tell you who he thinks you are. Someone said, the devil knows my name, but he calls me by my sin. Addict. Bitter, angry, resentful, pervert. Depressed, rageaholic. He knows my name, but he called me by my sin. And then they said, but God knows my sin, but he calls me. And then I said... God knows my sin and he calls me by his name, child of the living God. 
child of the living God. Child of the living God. Child of the living God. Child of the living God. You say, Pastor, you're just a little emotional. You're probably right. But if I could take you to my mama's bar this morning, I could bring you back to the front porch of the house when the police came again. She'd be emotional too. I see my siblings and in, in the life and where that led. And I know what it is to take God's word and believe what he says, not what the circumstances around you or the world around you say. Someone grabbed me between services. I said, Pastor, I want to talk to you. Just now I said, okay. He looked at me and goes, Thank you. I said, okay. I've been in jail. I watch every week. I'm here today to tell you on behalf of everybody who's watching in jail how much we appreciate what this church is doing for you preaching life and hope and peace in Jesus to us today. I am a Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you that, that, that you love us where we are. That, that, that you bring us where you always want to bring us and that's to closer, intimate relationship with you. And we love, we love the great moments where we feel so close. But we know that's true even when we don't feel that close. Because we are your beloved. Not only is Jesus your beloved, you said as he was, so are we in this present world. We are your beloved. We are the desire of your heart. That's why you sent him on a rescue mission for us. Not because you missed him, because you missed us. Thank you. Thank you. Would, would you just lay your hands flat open and wide open on your lap? Just, just wide open. Father, today, we, we come with open hands and open hearts. And we ask you in the mighty name of Jesus today to to continue to help us as we grow in our spiritual journey to know you, to love you, to become intimately acquainted with the lover of our soul. We are the object of your affection. It's so hard for us to wrap our mind around that because of the rejections we've experienced in our life, the disappointment we've experienced in our life. The fact that we don't even want to get our hopes up. But we are the desire of your heart. That's why you gave your son and Christ gave his life to chase us relentlessly, to pursue us relentlessly. Today, we, we want to give you the first 24 minutes. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. When they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they died spiritually. Later, they would die physically. Jesus said in John 4, 24, God is a spirit, and to know him, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. You can go to church all your life. You can pray prayers all of your life. You can even read the Bible, but until you become spiritually alive, you can't know the God that loves you and cares for you. How can I do that today, Pastor? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. And see, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
as you turn away from sin to be born again. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, last 10 seconds, if you're hearing you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again, but I want to know God. I, I want to stop running from him. Yes. He's been chasing you. You don't have to run to him. All you got to do is stop running. He's been chasing you. He leaves the 99 that are found to go after the one that's lost. He's been chasing you. You don't have to chase him. Just stop. One, he loves you and he's been waiting for you. Two, he loves you with a never-ending love. And if you'll stop and think a moment, all your life you can look back at moments where he was pursuing you. And now's your time to surrender to know him, to be born again. And if you've never been born again, but that's what you desire to do, when I say three, I I want you to raise your hand. And by doing that, you're simply saying, Pastor, pray for me today. I want to be born again. I want to know God. I've never been born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. Lift it high. One, two, three, four, five. Anywhere else? Six, seven, eight, nine. All right, put your hand down. Last 10 seconds, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these nine, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know you're ta- God is talking to me. He's talking through you to me. I didn't raise my hand, but I should. I want you to rave it, raise it and wave it right now. Join these 10. Join these 10. All right. 11. I see that. The church, let's pray out loud. 12, 13. Let's pray out loud with all of those that raised their hand today. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. And I turn to the one who loves me to be born again. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you enjoy that message from Pastor Jacob? Would you stand up on your feet with me? Hey, if you just made that decision to give your life to Jesus, your next step is water baptism. You can find one of these cards right in front of you. Check that box, leave it on your pew. We'll take care of the rest. Quick reminder, next week, I'll be kicking off a relationship series. You are not going to want to miss it. Would you bow your heads as I bless you before we leave? Now may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. And may all that you set your hand to, may it be for the kingdom of God and may he prosper it. And as your pastor, I bless you in the name of the Father, his son Jesus, the all-abiding Holy Spirit, amen. We have prayer partners at the front. If you need prayer, we'll see you next week.